fans, you know what time it is. It is FRPC Hoot. It is Saturday, day late. We had some technical difficulties yesterday. Uh, our Wi-Fi went out, and it was just horrific all day. So now we're back. We're up and running, and we have hoops for you. Unfortunately, the Canadian bomber, the Canadian shaman, the Canadian Bill Simmons, and for this podcast, the Canadian Zach Lowe will not be in attendance. Unfortunately, our schedules, because of what has happened uh, yesterday, we're not able to link up today. So it is me, and uh, we are going to get through all of this. And we got a pretty good show for you today, and I'm excited about it. Now, what is going on in March Madness is really interesting to me on a lot of levels. And the reason why I want to start here is because this has specific draft implications that I kind of want to talk about right now. Did you know that there is not one suggested lottery pick left? And this was out of the Sweet 16. I know we're now in the final, in the Elite Eight. But there's not one lottery pick amongst the teams that are left in the Elite Eight. I'm going to say that nine times out of ten, this is bad. And the reason why is because some of the kids like Scoot Henderson, Amin Thompson, Asur Thompson are not going to college. Scoot Henderson in the G League probably has a better window into what the NBA looks like with his couple years there. Now, as far as Asur and Amin Thompson, they're playing against high school kids and things of that nature now. They can be elite high school kids. I've seen some of the games, their skill level, um, I wouldn't even put it with like like college basketball, like even mid, mid-major. Is the NCAA in trouble is the first question. Do the lack of stars and the lack of prospects last couple weekends of college basketball, does it – enhance your your fandom does it take away from your fandom does it make the madness less or is it still the same old madness to you hit us up on front runner pc at on twitter and also uh at nico frpc on twitter and let us know about that congrats to uconn's freshman Jordan Hawkins, who is probably the highest rated prospect that is still in the tournament. UConn swingman Jordan Hawkins is a flamethrower, okay? This guy is a confident marksman. He shoots it from deep. Uh, He has a very, very quick release. He's a movement guy. The ball doesn't stick to him. He plays very good defense for somebody who doesn't have like all the quick twitch skills that you look for in a defender. He knows how to slide his feet. He seems to do a lot of scouting on his own, on tendencies and things of that nature. He picks up things pretty quickly. But the one thing that he can do is shoot. 
Now, he's not just a shooter. He does have, I wouldn't call him an on-ball initiator. What I would call him is he's able to take a couple dribbles and be able to locate his shot or relocate, you know, sidestep and hit a shot. But if you're asking him to be like a secondary initiator, it's really not his gig. But he's the guy that you can sit there and just know for for a fact that he's going to hit threes for you at a pretty consistent level. He's uh he's just he's incredible. I like this kid a lot. About six foot five, about one ninety five right now. Uh, those are a those are the measurements that we have. Obviously, as we get closer to the NBA combine, we will probably have better. Uh, more realistic numbers for you on that, but at right now he is listed at six foot five and about one ninety five. So if you're looking for a guy to kind of hone in on and one of your favorite teams can get on this kid, Jordan Hawkins out of UConn is a guy that you want to look at. Now getting back to the madness, there's not a number, there's not a number one seat left in this tournament. Okay. We have the likes of Florida Atlantic, Creighton, San Diego State. Then you mix in your Texas and your Yukons and and what have you and your Gonzagas of the world. Shouts out to Gonzaga, who has now broken my heart twice. Uh, as you know, I'm a UCLA fan. And yes, Thursday was not a great day for the mighty Bruins, but you know what? If that's what's going to beat us in the in a tournament, you know what? You all you have to do is tip your cap and keep it moving. I'm proud of the guys' effort. I'm proud of Jaime Hikes Jr., Tiger Campbell, David Singleton, Dylan Andrews, Will McClendon, Adam Bona, who did not play, Jalen Clark, who did not play. I'm proud of the UCLA Bruins this year. They played very well. They played tough. And uh, honestly, you know, with the injuries in, in, in that shot, I mean, that's it. You know, it's a one-and-done tournament. So you win, you survive, you move on. You lose, and that's it. You go home. You wait till next year. So with that being said, I can't be upset at UCLA at all. I'm I'm really just excited for the future with them and Mick Cronin in his recruiting prowess has kicked it up a notch. He is the cover is not bare just because Jaime Hawkes Jr. might be going pro to the NBA. David Singleton played his last game as a UCLA Bruin and Tiger Campbell also as well. But they got kids that played this year. They got vital experience and they have more kids coming in next year. And who knows? We don't know what we're going to get out of the transfer portal. So fours up, eight clap all day, still stands, still applies. We don't lose, We don't uh, leave our team just because they get bounced from the tournament. And if they didn't play well, I would have let you know. But on the effort that they gave, and uh, that game was just great all the way through. You knew Gonzaga was going to make a run. You knew that they had – They've been tested, battle-tested in some of these tournaments earlier in the season, even though the, they don't play in probably the highest stakes of conferences. But Mark Few, really good coach, settled his team down, 
grew team Timmy's leadership was also a determining factor. And Strother just hit the shot. Julian Strother just hit a shot. So shouts out to Julian Strother in his what thirty five footer. I mean, this thing was he hit a logo shot. What are you gonna do with that? There's nothing you can do. So that is the end of me crying about UCLA. I know probably people are like, damn, this dude is crying about UCLA again. The other thing that I want to get to is the other guy that you want to kind of look at. He's late first rounder, early second rounder. It's Creighton's Kobe Jones. He's a six foot six guard. He looks like his play style looks a lot like Andre Miller. If you remember Andre Miller, he played on Utah, Cleveland. He played for a lot of teams, but Andre Miller kicked around the NBA probably for about 16, 18 years, somewhere in there. He was like a six foot two, six foot three point guard, not really fast, but he was a floor general. And he got it done. And Kobe Jones kind of reminds me of a taller version of Andre Miller. A lot of people have him looking like Malcolm Brogdon of the Celtics. Malcolm Brogdon, you can shoot. So, Cody Jones is a okay shooter, not a great shooter. He definitely has some work to do on that end. But at six foot six, as far as a ball distributor, a offense initiator, he can handle that. He probes the paint at his own speed. You know, nothing speeds him up. You can't, he doesn't pick up his dribble just because there is traffic. He's a heady, relentless defender. He uses his angles and his body, um, his body type to help him defend off uh, quicker guards and what have you. And he is a 50-50 ball monster. He is college version of Dylan Brooks without some of the just the combustion that you get with Dylan. But he's not afraid to stick his nose in there, and he will challenge your good on-ball initiator or, or your wing that's getting hot. He will take the defensive challenge and go get that dude, and that guy will probably be sick of him by the end of the game because he will – he will fight over screens. He will make sure that he stays with his man. He also can play off-ball a little bit in the sense of an off-ball defense where he can anticipate the passing lanes. He knows angles. He gets a lot of deflections. He's really good on that end of the court. On the other end of the court, as far as getting you a bucket or getting your open, getting your shooter open, because he can probe the lane and because of the fact that he has the ability to not pick up his dribble when it looks like he's in tight quarters, he's going to look and find the open man. So if you start to converge on him, he'll just kick it out to the three. And, you know, you're looking at, you know, UConn looking at knockdown shooters. So, that's what UConn's game is. And that's what Kobe Jones of I'm not UConn. Oh, Creighton. Sorry, that's what Creighton does. And Kobe Jones is going to be a, a intriguing prospect because 
if he can shoot it a little bit better, is a chance of being a real like rotation piece for a for a playoff team. I think he has that in him. Defense can get him on the court. His ability to handle the ball and his ability not to turn the ball over will keep him on the court. And then as far as his his long standing career is concerned, his shooting will just have to elevate. But those are two guys that you can look at as you look at some of these games or go back and look at some of these games. So Creighton's Kobe Jones and UConn's Jordan Hawkins are the two guys that you want to kind of look at. We lost everybody, man. So Jairus, Jairus Walker, the Duke kids, so Filiposki, Lively, Whiteside, you know, we lost all we lost all the Dukies. Uh UCLA's gone, so you don't have to worry about Amari Bailey anymore. Uh, you don't have to look at that type of situation. Alabama's out, so we don't have to worry about Brandon Miller anymore. All the guys that were at the top of the draft board that were outside that are not outside the United States and who are not playing for G League Ignite or Overtime Elite. They're all gone, man. And it just goes to show you that teams that are who have maybe like a nine or a 12 in front of their, uh, as far as their seating's concerned, you got to understand these teams have been together for two, three, four years. You know, some of these guys are 23 years of age. You know, they're going up against grown men. And you saw. As games got tight, you saw the familiarity of teams who had been through the wars together over the years not panic and get the job done and move on. So that's one of the reasons why we do not have any number one seeds left in this March Madness. So what else can we talk about? Well, in a long-standing tradition here at FRPC, because Nico is not here and he cannot talk about his beloved Houston Rockets, I will take this time to talk about my beloved Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers are now at 500 for the first time this year. Anthony Davis scored 37 points and 15 rebounds last night to help his team for the first time get to 500. Now, as Laker fans, we are actually pretty excited about being at 500. And actually, it's been 424 days since the Lakers have been at 500. Think about that. 424 days since the Lakers have seen 500. It, all, it just baffles the mind. That they are there. They are there in this situation. But here they are. We've talked about some of the moves in in a nauseam. We we have a uh, a trade deadline show that's two parter. So if you want to go back and hear our thoughts on what we thought of some of the moves at the time, now that we have a couple of weeks to kind of reflect and see. 
man, this trade, this trade that brought them D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, Jerry Vanderbilt, um, this trade was phenomenal for so many reasons. And also the addition of Rui Pachamora earlier, previous, before the trade deadline. Even though D'Angelo Russell did not play last night, um, the one thing that you are seeing is you're seeing the best version of D'Angelo Russell at this point. He seems to be playing within inside himself. He seems to found some peace on the floor a little bit. Now I'm sure he's still gunning for his contract because you know what? You got to secure the bag first and foremost, right? But I like the energy that Vanderbilt has given. Malik Beasley is all of what he is. He is a streaky shooter. He'll get incredibly cold or he'll get hot. Now, his importance to the team is that he continues to take those three-point shots. But he's been in a terrible slump for a while now. He had a couple good games early on after the trade deadline, after he got to the Lakers. But lately, it's not been great. Last night, he was 2 of 6, and actually, we were really kind of pumped up as Laker Nation that he was 2 of 6 because we had some bad ones. But the emergence of Austin Reeves has kind of helped that situation where it hasn't been as glaring of a wart as it could be. Austin Reeves seems to have elevated his game over like the last, I'll say last seven. He seems to be uh, being able to initiate contact and, and draw fouls at a better clip. His handle is actually a little bit better than what I thought it was, and I've been watching him. He's been working. You can tell. The only thing that I ask of Austin Reeves is to be a little bit more aggressive or hunt his shot more, and you've seen that over the last two weeks, maybe a little bit more, maybe two and a half, three weeks, but it hasn't been long. That was my only gripe with Austin Reeves. Is that I, the one thing I do know is that he's going to play the game right. He's going to find open shooters. But I was hoping for his aggressiveness to kind of pick up a notch, and it has. You can't be mad at what Austin Reeves has been doing. Even last night on an off game, look how he looked at the uh, – Look at what he did with the stat sheet. Filled it up pretty good. Had six rebounds, had nine assists. Played defense. And it was important. All of it was important last night because of the fact that the Lakers do not have margin for error. They just don't at this point. They have to continue to win. Steph Curry in the Golden State Warriors at 39-36, they are now the six seed, they're chasing, they're trying to chase down um, the Phoenix Suns and Phoenix is trying to chase down the Clippers. But Minnesota and the Lakers are tied at 37 and 37. And right now 
Minnesota has the tiebreaker. They are sitting in the seventh seed as the Lakers sit in the eighth seed. So if everything ends today, the Lakers are in, and then they would go to Minnesota and play that game. So the Lakers have eight more games left to go, and it is time to put the foot to the pedal and see if you can get beyond the Minnesota Timberwolves and see if you can maybe creep yourself up to that sixth spot. That's where everybody's trying to get to. The reason why they're trying to get there is because the Sacramento Kings are going to make the playoffs, ladies and gentlemen. And the great thing about that is shout out to the Kings. Shout out to uh, Coach Mike Brown, who obviously former Laker coach, but also I'm just glad that he was able to get another chance and really be able to put his imprint on this team. As you can see, this is uh this is phenomenal. This is a phenomenal situation. You're talking about 16 years of non-winning basketball. Do you know this time last year that the Sacramento Kings were like their record was basically flipped. I think it was 24 and 48 at this time last year. And now they're 44 and 29. Kudos to them. And one guy that I want to kind of highlight is he doesn't get a lot of love, but it was the acquisition that they made from Atlanta in the off season. Kevin Herter. Kevin Herter, per his per 36, he's averaging 18.5 points. He's shooting 48.8% from the field on 14 attempts. He's also shooting 41.1% from three on 8.2 attempts. He has a net rating of a plus 4.9, so almost five. His Effective field goal shooting is 61%, and his true shooting is 62.3%. On usage, on a usage of 19%, just just so you know. So he's improved all his vital numbers over last year. And you wonder if this was a change of scenery, or was it more the play style fits him better? I'm going to go with the play style fits him better. Memo to ATL fans and also the Atlanta Hawks. You got to find a way with Quinn Snyder in the building now. You have to find a way to get Trey Young off the ball for a decent amount of time during the game. I think it will help the offense tremendously. I think guys touching the ball helps. You know, Ryan Wasillo says something in uh, his podcast, and he says, there's nothing fun watching a dude dribble basketball for 22 seconds and then at the last second throw it to you and go, okay, take a shot. There's no, there's no fun in that. 
Where's the fluidity? Where's the movement? And it's really going to be up to Trey Young to augment his game, to allow his his teammates to have a chance at touching the basketball and actually maybe make his shots a lot easier for him, and maybe he becomes a more efficient scorer because of it. Trey Young is a brilliant point guard, excellent shooter, range out. Well, I was going to say something, but uh, um, he has a ton of range. But I will tell you that his shot selection is terrible. His unwillingness to give up the ball, even with DeJounte Murray in the building, is kind of alarming. They've had to stagger those guys because they are finding it hard to play with one another. I hope this is a real wake-up call for Trey Young, but I wanted to spotlight Kevin Herter for two reasons. One, we talk about here on FRPC Hoops uh, holistically. We talk about what can you do as a front office to make your team better? What can you do can't to get your team to that next level. And these are the type of things that the Sacramento Kings did, okay? If we go back to the trade deadline uh, a season ago, and the much <laughs> the much talked about, the much discussed Tyrese Halliburton to Indiana for DeMontis Sabonis, here's the thing. I did not like to trade at the time. I'm a huge Halliburton fan. Um, if I thought there was a guard to get rid of, I thought it was going to be Darren Fox. Uh, I will, I will humbly, humbly eat that. Uh, those words. Darren Fox has been a absolute animal this year. His crunch time numbers is are just so unfathomable right now. He's doing just brilliant things, and he is an absolute closer in the fourth quarter. He's got the most fourth-quarter points in the NBA this year, and he has the most crunch time points in the NBA this year. But if you also look at the percentages and you look at the shooting, they're also up there as well. But the reason why I wanted to talk about the Sacramento Kings because we are we were supposed to have a long discussion about the Kings and what they're doing and whatever, and we might say that till next week. I just want to hit on them a little bit. And I wanted to highlight Kevin Herter for this specific reason. One, when he left Atlanta, it was literally a salary dump. It's not like they really wanted to get rid of him, but these are the type of guys that can, even though they're not the superstar, they can make subtle changes within their, in your team and make you a whole lot better very quickly because Kevin Herter does the one thing that we need in the NBA. He can shoot, and he has size, and he's a willing defender. So if you put all those three things together, and also, here's the other thing. His second side creation is not bad. He will not just follow the ball off his knee all the time. 
He's a capable, capable handler of the basketball. He can get you into pick and roll action. He's a good all-around player. And for teams that are now starting to reassess where they are, you know, we're getting to the, close to the end of the year. So your teams that are on the bubble or, you know, maybe they had a bad injury and, you know, they're kind of floating around the 11th, 12th seed, things of that nature. Um, you know, these are the type of guys that you don't have to spend crazy amounts of money on. You don't have to give up tons and tons of draft equity to get. But if you can pinpoint and be right about these type of guys, it can elevate your team to a point where, like I said, Sacramento hasn't been in the playoffs for 16 years. It's been since 2006, and they're going to end this drought this year. So light the freaking beam. Shouts out to Sacramento Kings. And shouts out to Kevin Herter in his tremendous season. And I look for nothing but better things for my guy, Kevon. You know what I'm saying? We love Kevon. Here's a stat from at DM Grub on Twitter. I wanted to give him a shout out because when I saw this note, I couldn't believe it. You know, it's been 146 days since the Pelicans won a road game against a team that had a winning record. 146 days since the New Orleans Pelicans won a game on the road against a team that has a winning record. It almost seems impossible to believe. Now, we are also watching Golden State have one of the worst road records for defending reigning champion. So it shouldn't be too crazy to see New Orleans go 146 days, which is darn near half a year. We're almost there. One more month and we'll be at a half a year. Injury update on Zion. He has resumed on-court activities, but still will be reevaluated in two to three weeks. The Pelicans um, are a prime candidate for a league guard either through the draft or through free agency or through trade in the offseason. The problem is, is where they are in the draft, I do not think they would be able to get the caliber of league guard without making a move up. Get it. And their plans of having the Lakers be uh, have a worse record than them has kind of fallen to the wayside at this point. But right now, as they stand, I think they're like 13th, like 13th, 12th, 13th place somewhere in there for like if the, the lottery shook out exactly the way it's supposed to. 
They're looking at like 13th with their pick. That is definitely not in the situation to get Scoot Henderson. Because you're going to have to be at like, you're going to have to be top three at least to get that guy. The other thing is, is that when they do go look for a lead guard, because I do believe a lead guard could help this team, even without Zion right now. A lead guard would just be able to get them into the sets, get them comfortable. But the other thing that you're going to need from this lead guard, if you're keeping C.J. McCollum, is that lead guard is going to have to provide you with some height. And also, he's going to be able to. He's going to have to be able to play defense. Because C.J. C.J. tries on defense. He's just not really good at it. A name to keep in mind for Pelican fans, because it might be in your range, is Nick Smith Jr. Now, personally, I will tell you, he's been hurt this year. He hasn't played a lot. I haven't seen enough from him to make a decision on, oh, yeah, this is definitely the guy you got to get. But if you're looking at just the draft models and you're looking at some of the scouting reports on him, he looks like a guy that would kind of fit the bill. The only thing is, is that the Pelicans need a lead guard that they know can do it. This guy has traits. Nick Smith Jr. has traits. We don't know if he can necessarily do these things in the NBA. Book is still out. We have to wait and see and watch. But if I'm the Pelicans, I got to make sure that that's something that I get cleared up. Or we're waiting on Zion to get back, get healthy, and we get point Zion back. I love point Zion. It was one of my favorite things to see, to see somebody darn near 300 pounds, 6'6", just doing, just getting into the paint whenever he wanted to and kicking it out to shooters. We'll see what the Pelicans do. But I thought that 146 days since they beat a team on the road that had a winning record was eye-opening, to say the least, with all the talent that they have on this team, even with Al Zion. Look at a situation where you have Brandon Ingram, C.J. McCollum, Jonas Valanciunas, Trey Murphy III. They got enough guys that they should be able to eke out wins. You Listen, you play Houston every once in a while. You play uh, Charlotte every once in a while. You play these teams. You should be able to come up with a victory. And for, uh, I mean, well, that's not a winning team. But I would think that this team is good enough to be, you know, every once in a while sneak up on one of these teams that even a lower level 500 team, like if you got one of the East teams that were just about, you know, like one, two games over 500, it's almost, it's almost impossible for the Pelicans to not win a game against a team that is over 500. But this is the year that we live in. Speaking of the Dallas Mavericks, Maverick fans, I'm not going to talk about your boy Cuban going off on the refs and the and the bad calls and whatever case may be. I don't, I don't even want to get into that. The one thing I do want to get into is how 
disbanded Lugala after that loss. He said the game wasn't fun. It's been a very difficult year for him. Yeah, because you don't have Jalen Brunson. Now, everybody's talked about it. We're not going to kill it. We're not going to kill Dallas. It's over, and now we got to just do better. But this offseason looks to be critical in the future of what the Dallas Mavericks are going to look like in three years. Do you keep Kyrie? What other pieces that you could put around Luka to give him a better shot at winning? Do you need a big? You definitely need a wing defender that can shoot. Maybe even two wing defenders that can shoot. But just the look on his face, just his his whole demeanor during that press conference. If I am Maverick fan, I might start be I might start getting worried a little bit. Like, is this dude here for the long haul? It's just, or is he just tired of carrying his team? Only time will tell. Usually. The foreign guys don't leave just because. But I wonder if we get through next season. That's a long way off. So there is there isn't a lot of let's get Luca out of Dallas talk here. Okay. I want Luca to stay in Dallas, but you have to be concerned if you're a Mavericks fan after seeing that press conference, just a little bit. You have to be a little bit nervous. Speaking of nervous, I have just a quick question for my my, uh, partners in the Bay Area. Do the defending champs have a run in them? That road record is abysmal. And the thing about it is, it's not just a record. If you look at the the numbers, if you look at the the just the stats, it's terrible. They're a plus seven point seven at home net rating. They are negative point six point seven on the road net rating. Well, people ask, well, why is that? Why are they so drastically different? Just part of the problem. Steph Curry has played 49 of the possible 75 games. Now, I know all those games weren't on the road. I know that all those games, uh, you know, he didn't just sit out road games. But you have a guy who is basically 50% from the field, 43% from three, and 90% from the free throw line. Now, this is not unusual. This is something that Steph does. But to be doing it at age 34, going into age 35, 
And also, if you look at like the true shooting numbers and the effective field goal percentage, 62% effective field goal percentage and 66.3 true shooting percentage. This is one of the great Steph Curry years that he's ever had. And I don't want to say that they're wasting it, but if there's championship DNA still left, if Kerr has been saving a vial of championship DNA for whatever, for this time, it is time to go get that bad boy from the safe. If you have a retina scan to open up that safe, go ahead and use that. If there's some sort of biometric tech to get it out the safe, you would need to go ahead and do that. And you need to go ahead and get that vial of championship DNA out as quickly as possible because we are running out of time and they are trying to chase down the Phoenix Suns for the fifth spot. I don't know if they get there, even without Durant. Report is, is that Durant might be back towards the end of the year. Well, hell, we're there. We're at the end of the year. We got eight games left. I understand there's a couple weeks left, but I don't see. I think the earliest you're going to see Durant, maybe he plays the last two games of the year, maybe. Or he might just come in the playoffs. I think that's what we're going to see from LeBron James. I don't think LeBron is going to play. I could be wrong. We're seeing a lot of, hey, we re- we evaluated him. We need to reevaluate him in two or three weeks. With all of them, Durant, LeBron, everybody has an ankle injury. You know what I'm saying? Our guy, Anthony Edwards in uh, Minnesota, coming back soon. So, so excited to see that team fully together and see what they can do. Minnesota is seventh seventh right now in the uh, standings, and they are looking to try to get out of that plan. I don't know if they have enough time, but we'll see. Question for Dub Nation. Do you really believe that there is a switch that they can turn on? From what you've seen this year, from Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Jordan Poole, we have no idea when Andrew Wiggins is getting back, if he's getting back. The reports of supposedly he's taking care of someone else's kid or whatever is such an erroneous um, rumor. Checked in on that. Couldn't find any validity to those statements. So we're going to say allegedly. But he seems to have something going on that's not allowing him to play. And it's severe enough to keep him away from the team. So we just hope that he gets back. We hope that he gets back and he's he's fully him. And we don't know if it's going to be this year. We have no idea. 
But the Dubs need him. Golden State needs him desperately if they have any chance of making a real legitimate run to the Western Conference Finals. And then the the last piece of news that we're going to talk about today uh, is the Jalen Brown situation. And if you're not up on this, uh, I don't know how you couldn't. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably listen to Zach Lowe. You probably listen to Win Horse. You probably listen to other people. But we do appreciate you listening to us. So I have a little different spin than those gentlemen. But we're going to go over the particulars first. Dylan Brown is in a point of his contractual um, situation where we kind of need to talk about this. The reason why is that he's coming off his, he's getting close to the end of his rookie extension. Okay. Where it was uh, four years and I believe it was 106 million. And that ends in 2024. Here's the problem. The way the contract is structured, if he doesn't hit like an all-NBA team or wins a, a league MVP or whatever the case may be, it will lose him just to opt out of his contract and not sign an extension. Because the Celtics could give him a little bit more money, but if he opts out, he can get way more money. Now, I don't know anybody who can sneeze at an extra 32 mil, but that's what we're looking at over the years. If he opts out, he can make approximately 44 million. If he this signs an extension, he can make about 36 a year annually. So if you sign a four-year deal and you're eight off, so eight times four, 32, that's where we come up with the 32. So basically how this works is, is that the Celtics are hoping for Jalen Brown to make a all-NBA team. Here's the problem. Jason Tatum is definitely going to make an all-NBA team. Now, it depends on whether you look at Jalen Brown as a forward or guard, because if he's looked at as a guard, there is little to no shot that he has any chance of getting into all-NBA. Even with some of the injuries that have happened over this season to Steph Curry and people like that. Because new new guards have emerged. Tyrese Halliburton is one. Jim Brunson is another. Along with your other cast of characters, your Devin Bookers, your Donovan Mitchells, and everybody else that's usually in these talks, if Jalen Brown is considered a guard, he's not going to make All-NBA. And if he doesn't make All-NBA... The Celtics have a real issue on their hands. The other thing is that as Logan Murdoch 
from the Ringer recorded. And uh, shouts out to my guy, Logan Murdoch, from the Real Ones. He had an interview with Jalen Brown, and he did a story on him, and he interviewed a ton of people. And the one thing that he kept on saying in some of the podcasts that I listened to about his actual story is that he he intimated that Jalen Brown, um, it's not like he has an issue with the Celtics at all, but he has an issue with some of the dealings that they've had. Okay? You got to understand it from his point of view. Dylan Brown is 26 years of age, okay? He's probably one of the best tandems in basketball with Brown and Tatum together. The Celtics made the NBA Finals last year and really were a one less nuclear game from Steph Curry probably from winning that game, from winning that series. So my question is, why is Jalen Brown's name coming up in every trade rumor? And here's the thing. It's not every trade rumor. It's every significant trade rumor. He was in the AD. He was in the KD talks, the Kevin Durant talks this, this last offseason. He were also in the Anthony Davis talks when he was up. So his name has been floated out there many a time. And I don't think that Jalen Brown really appreciates it. Jalen Brown is one of these guys who who does a lot of activism in his community. He does it in Boston as well as his hometown of Atlanta. Um, that little dust up with Kanye and, and Jalen have more to do with the school aspect than it did with Kanye. He was trying to see if by keeping his name um, involved with Kanye, could he save the school? Because he was more he was more worried and concerned with those kids, those inner city kids, you know, getting the education. And the uh, Donda was also a school that was kind of like a prep school, kind of like your IMG Academy, the Sierra Canyons of the world. So he was concerned with the with the athletics, and he was concerned with these students just not being left out in the lurch. That's why he wasn't just, oh, I'm out on Kanye, because he is a loyal dude. And his word means a lot to him. He's not just going to go with the crowd and just go, okay, because you said so, I'm going to just go ahead and kick this dude to the curb. No, he wanted to read up on it. He wanted to make sure that these things were being said. He wanted to make sure that these um, inflammatory comments were really coming from Kanye and also desperately trying to see how he could still help those kids and help those, those, uh, those uh, students to reach their goals. Because the one thing, that Jalen Brown does stand for is basically getting education to those and resources to those who usually have an issue with ascertaining those resources. Poor communities, you know, I'll say it like that. People who aren't as affluent 
as some of the other people out here in the world. So that's why Jalen Brown didn't just cut Kanye off right away because he was trying to do something right for the kids. With that being said, Boston has a good character guy. He is a good, great player, great defender, and doesn't feel necessarily offended or somehow wrong by being the number two guy in Boston. But the one thing he does care about is he cares about being respected. He doesn't feel like he has a partnership with the front office and the the leadership of the Celtics. This is all basically from Logan Murdoch's piece on the ringer. I suggest that you read it. It's very enthralling. I read it. And then I listened to Logan on uh, some of the podcasts that he was going on about this particular story. But these are the things that are important. So Boston fans, how do you feel about your guy? Is he going to make one of these all NBA teams? You kind of really need him to make one of these teams. You want to make sure that he's a forward and not designated as a guard. So then he can make one of these teams because, like I said, if he's a guard, there's no way he's going to make it. And it's just going to set up for a really interesting offseason if it couldn't get more spicy with all the other things that I think might be going on this offseason. But for the teams out there, you know what I'm saying? Like, is this the Knicks guy? Is this the guy the Knicks pulled the trigger on? New York City, where you at? Where you at, New York? Is this the guy that you pulled the trigger on? Six 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 seven combo wing. We know that Cleveland doesn't have the money to get him. Does he go home to Atlanta? What's that look like? I know one thing. He's not going to be putting up with any BS from uh, Trey Young. I'll tell you that. They would have to work something out. They have to work something out on that. It'd be interested to see where Jalen Brown ends up, you know, if for some reason he doesn't make an all-NBA team. I'm really excited to see what happens in the offseason. But Boston fans, how do you feel about your guy? How do you feel about this rule? Does the new collective bargaining agreement kind of Fix this little quirk that's in the uh, in the bylaws, because that's another thing that could save the Celtics if, if for some reason the CBA kind of fix this so they can sign their own guy. It's all going to be very very interesting. So with that being said, uh, we're gonna get up out of here because there's games for us to watch. We will be back. Uh, Monday, hopefully internet stays up. And I believe also on that situation, you can you can put in pen that Nico Miatello, the Canadian bomber, the Canadian shaman, the Canadian Bill Simmons, and for this podcast, 
the Canadian Zach Lowe will be in attendance on Monday. So for myself and Nico, we wish you a good weekend and we'll see you back on this feed on Monday. And I hope that this hoops talk solo mission was good for you again. Please download us. Please subscribe to us. Please tell a friend to listen to us. Um, I hope this has been, you know, kind of a, a journey for you guys as it's been for me. Uh, if you listen to any of the pods over the last couple of weeks, you know that my mother has been in the hospital. Uh, she has returned home. Uh, we are going to have um, some sort of nurse come into the home to have her checked out probably a couple times a week. We'll be looking in on that possibly Tuesday. That's what it looks like. That's the earliest we can get. But I wanted to thank everybody who sent their well wishes and uh, texts and things of that nature. Um, It's meant a lot. Um, If you DM me and things of that, if you DM me, um, I really appreciate it. Thank you for your your thoughts and your concerns. And for all the people who have checked in on my mom, I just want to let you guys know, rest assured, she is home, resting comfortably, and we are taking it day by day. So with that being said, we can go ahead and sign off now, but I wanted to hit you with that little good news before I did. And uh, we'll be back on this feed on Monday. So again, you guys have a great weekend. Enjoy the Elite Eight. Enjoy the uh the the last games of the regular season in the NBA calendar because I'm gonna tell you right now if you have not in have not kind of tapped in yet you're waiting for the playoffs don't wait for the playoffs because the playoffs are here now you're seeing playoff basketball right now the intensity level is at an all-time high some of these dudes don't like the other dudes you can tell it's getting testy and you can tell, like, these teams are starting to see some desperation and they're getting after it. So do not wait until the play-in or playoff basketball. Get in on it now. Start checking out these storylines that are going on. Who's going to win the MVP race? Is it going to be Jokic? Is it going to be Giannis? Is it going to be Embiid? Who's going to be... Who's going to win the defensive player of the year? Is it going to be Jaron Jackson Jr.? Shout out to Memphis. Shout out to Ja Morant. And by the way, shout out to Ja Morant. And I say that with a lot of reverence. I hope I hope this young man has found himself. I hope that uh, there is a clarity to his thinking now. I hope that the redemption story is real. I hope that we look back on this and we just go, we chalk it up to youthful behavior without a lot of discernment. I hope that's what we chalk this up to. I hope that we are not talking about this again in six or seven months. I hope that Ja can stay out of the news for derogatory reasons. I hope that he can just um, be him be the electrifying player that he is. And also um, the kid that came out of Murray state, I don't think he's too far gone. And uh, I just am, I'm hoping for that city, you know, because, 
you know, they don't get a bunch of free agents that go to Memphis. They just don't. And when you have a a guy that is literally lurking as one of the the few difference makers in this league, because albeit I respect Nico in his opinion, I do not believe there are 15, 16 guys that move the needle. Like if they change the franchise, if they change from one franchise to another, it automatically makes them, you know, a uh, conference finalist. Believe that's it. There's a handful of guys, but I do believe that John Morant is on the outskirts looking in. And he's making a beeline for one of those spots. So my hope is that there were some talks. There were good, strong discussions about what he needs to do. I hope he did go to counseling and get some counseling for whatever ailed him. And I hope that we just see Ja for the next 10 to 12 years doing what he does, doing what he loves and uh, entertaining us. So sorry, we, I'm sorry. I had to get that in before we uh, got off the air. But again, I thank everybody for listening. And uh, again, tell a friend, tell a male person, tell a gas attendant, tell uh, cousins you haven't talked to in five years. And also, again, um, I think we talked about this last time. If you haven't, like, talked to uh, one of your main people in a while, you know, uh, one of your inner circle, shoot that person a phone call and just say, hey, I'm thinking about you. You never know. You never know when uh, your time gets called. You just do not know. And this is more for, you know, everybody who's lost somebody, you know. Um, I lost my sister. Um, well, wow, was it five years now? Yeah, January third, twenty eighteen. I lost my sister, and her birthday actually just passed a couple days ago uh, on the twenty second. And uh, you know, we're uh, I think about her from time to time, and uh, wish that that things could have worked out differently for her. Um, but yeah, if you have a person that you haven't spoken to in, in a minute and you always say, Hey, you know what? I need to give him or her a call. Go ahead and do so. Break that phone call off now. Or if you're in the if you have the capability of seeing that person, you know, they don't live too far away or whatever, you know, jump in your car, go see that person, have a chat, you know, just let them know that you care. So with that being said, we're going to sign off again. My name is Vince Carter. And for Nico Miatello, we'll see you on the sheet on Monday. And you guys have a great rest of your weekend. And I am out. <laughs>